dead man, come out of that grave. That's what this day is all about. What a powerful gift. What a glorious opportunity. We celebrate the empty tomb. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. What a powerful opportunity we have today to celebrate that gift, to help cause this powerful uh, uplifting and to celebrate the wonder of the new life that Jesus brings. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so grateful that we get to worship together, and I hope that by the time you leave this morning, you will be able to say, not only is He risen, but with your life and with every part of your being, you'll be able to say, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a powerful gift. Thank you. Easter's funny, though, isn't it? Because sometimes uh, when we talk to kids about it, uh, we have all kinds of um, rationale, right? We have all kinds of uh, understandings. We have all kinds of imagery. It reminds me of the the Sunday school teacher who was talking to her little six-year-olds, trying to see if they really understood what Easter was all about. And she asked them, "Uh, boys and girls, do you you know why we celebrate Easter? And there was a little bit of a pause, and then a little girl raised her hand. She said, isn't that where we dress up in costumes and go trick-or-treating? And the teacher said, no, Jenny, that's not it. That's Halloween. Does anybody else have an answer? And little Jimmy raised his hand. He said, I know what that is. That's when we get to shout off fireworks all the time, right? And she said, no, Jimmy, that's Independence Day. Does anybody else know why we celebrate Easter? And there was a little bitty girl in the back of the room who was really shy, and she raised her hand. She said, Easter, Easter's when Jesus died. And the teacher got all excited. You can well imagine at this point, she was wondering if anybody would ever be able to answer the question. She said, yes, Susie, that's right. Easter is when Jesus died. And do you know why it is we celebrate? What special thing happened on Easter? And little Susie thought for a minute. She said, well, so Jesus died, and He was buried, and then every Easter He comes out again. And then when he comes out, if they see his shadow, we have six more weeks of eat. <laughs> you just never know. You got to tell this story over and over again, right? You got to tell the story over and over again because we all need reminding, don't we? And a part of what we're claiming here at Treats this particular year is restoration, that God restores who we are, that God restores the world to its original created design, that God wants this restoration. And what we know about restoration is that restoration brings life out of death. It brings hope out of despair, and it brings faith when there often is fear. And so the gift of this restoration is that we can claim it as followers of Jesus, that we can recognize it as a part of who we are, and then we get to share this good news with other people. We get to express it in the way we live, in the way we help people, in the way we love people, in the way we offer care to people, because we know that restoration can be real. It did my heart good this morning as I checked on social media because, of course, on social media there's all kinds of Jesus is raised and He is risen. And what what captivated me in particular this morning was I noticed that a lot of the scriptural reference was from the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning I'm going to be preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, which on Easter Sunday morning I have not done in probably two decades. Because while all four of the Gospels tell this powerful story, all four of the Gospels have a unique way of telling that story. I love the way Luke tells it. I love the way John tells it. I love the way Mark tells it. And I love the way Matthew tells it. But for some reason, I preach on Mark and Luke and John. 
And each one has their own distinctive understanding, right? John has the great chase scene between Peter and the, the gospel writer John, right? And Mark has this funky abruptness where the women kind of encounter the empty tomb, and they're not sure what happens next. And then Luke, of course, has the powerful imagery of the road to Emmaus when Jesus encounters some of those disciples. Matthew's gospel has his own take as well, and I'd love for you to hear it this morning as he has an earth-shaking experience for us. From Matthew's gospel in the 28th chapter, we hear these words. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come, see the place where they lay him. Then go and quickly tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly for fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you will see me. Thanks be to God for the reading and the hearing of a portion of God's most holy and trusted Word. Thanks be to God. I love this story, right? The Easter story is profound, and man, it's just uh, earth-shaking. That's the uniqueness about Matthew's gospel, right? There's an earthquake when an angel shows up. But it's not just here at the empty tomb. In Matthew's gospel, there's an earthquake when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there's an earthquake when the tomb is empty. And it's this powerful, profound kind of imagery that sort of suggests to us, Matthew wants us to know, this is an earth-shaking kind of thing. This is not your ordinary, everyday kind of thing. This is something that's going to change who you are, and it's going to change who the world is. And I hope we would agree that that's true, right? So earth-shaking was this that the guards who were standing right there to protect the body, to make sure nobody steals the body, to make sure nobody sort of walks away with the body, they become like statues. I love this. And I, I, I often wonder, how, how can it be that they can both stand like dead men and shake? I mean, have you ever seen a dead person shake? Doesn't make any sense, does it? And yet they are just stone cold. They don't know what to do. And then what I really love is that the angel, who clearly must see these guys standing there like dead men, he turns to the women and says, don't be afraid. This is going to be a really cool thing. And he enters into a dialogue with the women because I think he understands that they're going to be the ones to become the first evangelists, that they're going to be the ones who will tell this story 
who will share this good news and will have a profound impact on the rest of the world because they will be able to share this. But the angel says, now don't be afraid because everything that Jesus told you, everything that he laid out, everything that he said would happen, it's all happened. And you're going to see him because he's not here. He has been raised. Now go to Galilee where he says he's going and you'll see him. And what a powerful gift that becomes because that's what they do, right? They go and share with the disciples. They go and tell this story, and they help reveal the truth that the grave cannot conquer us, that the grave is not an end, that the grave is merely a beginning, that the grave is making possible uh, uh, opportunities that are beyond our comprehension, and they go share that. But I love that the angel says to them twice, in fact, do not be afraid. These are powerful words. In all of the Bible, this happens over and over again in Old and New Testament because we need to hear it over and over again, don't we? We need to hear that we need help. We need to hear that God is on our side. We need to hear and know that God is with us. We need to know that God can help us and therefore do not be afraid. In all of the Bible, I've heard it, it's been said some 360 times so we could claim it every single day. But it happens a lot around Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus himself would share this as he comes to the disciples walking on water, and they're a bit freaked out. He said, don't be afraid. It's me. Even Zechariah, his uncle, when he was told he was going to have a son, couldn't believe it. The angel said to Zechariah, don't be afraid. It's all going to work out just like I told you it would. The angel came to, to Joseph, Jesus' father, and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's going to birth God's child. And, of course, God came to Mary as well and said, Mary, don't be afraid, for you will birth God. We need to hear these words over and over, don't we? Because every once in a while we get afraid. We get afraid of the world. Every once in a while we get fearful about what lies ahead, about how life is coming at us, and we need to know that God is with us. Do not be afraid. Notice how the women laugh, too. I love this description, and every time I read it, I get captivated by it. It says, they left in fear and joy. You ever wonder how those two emotions coexist? Fear and joy. It seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, they're a bit afraid of whatever's coming, or they're not quite clear how it's going to come, and they're not sure what they're going to do as they move forward. But they're also filled with joy because they know it's true. They know it's real. They know this possibility has just become reality for them. Have you ever felt fear and joy? all at the same time, maybe at the birth of a child, maybe on your wedding day, I don't know, maybe when you graduated from college, I don't know, maybe when you were defending your dissertation, I don't know, there's fear and joy, right, in these profound moments in our lives, and we're fearful because we're not 100% sure what lies ahead, but we're also joyous because we know there's great opportunity right on the horizon, and so they do this thing, they leave with fear and joy, and it reminds me that restoration can often bring fear and joy. When I am restored to God's original creation, when I am restored to what God desires for my life, when I am restored to the way God wants me to be, there is fear because I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to do this and how is this going to work. But there's also great joy and delight because I've been restored, because I've been given a blessed gift, because I've been offered real and true life, and all things can become possible. 
There's fear and joy in restoration. And the possibilities there are endless. But what I love about it is that restoration brings this hope, and it brings this uh, love, and it brings this reality that, man, with God, this stuff can be true. And that's what we celebrate on Easter, isn't it? What we celebrate is the gift that all things can be possible. Now, some two decades ago or so, I don't remember, it's been a long time, a guy named Max Licato, I'm sure you know, a famous author, famous pastor, wrote a book called Six Hours, One Friday. And in that book, he lists out these, these sort of three great designs that help us better understand that this restoration that we just read about, this restoration that we know is true, but sometimes we struggle with with fear as well as joy. Locato gives us an indication that this is real with three simple guidelines. I just want to share them with you, and I hope that you'll find them helpful. The first guideline that he literally just shares with us is that your life is not futile. I know that life can be hard sometimes. I know that there are times when we get disappointed in life. I know that there are struggles in life. And so every once in a while, we might feel as though life is a bit futile. Golly, why should I do this? Why should I push on? Why should I try this? I I don't know. I don't understand. I can't make this work. And there's all kinds of dead places in our lives. For some of us, it might be our marriages right now. For some of us, it might be our addictions. For others of us, it might be our job, it might be our attraction to certain things, it may be any number of things, but what I want to share with you is your life is not futile, and the reason your life is not futile is because we have a Savior, because we have a God who says, I am here for you, do not be afraid. I want you to experience me with you, I want you to know that I am for you, and I want you to know that together we can make this real. Jesus would say this so well in so many different ways, but one of my favorites is in John's gospel when he describes himself in John chapter 10, and he just says, look, the thief, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come, says Jesus, that you might have life and not just any ordinary life, but you might have abundant life. Your life, friends, is not futile. God is there for you, and God wants the very best for you. The resurrection points this restoration out but it takes faith. It takes an uncompromising faith to believe God so loved you, God so loved the world that God wanted the very best for you. Faith is an interesting thing, isn't it? We sometimes struggle with it because we don't, we can't make sense of it. And I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it because he just kind of lays it out there. He just says in Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I hope this will work. I hope, God, you're with me. I hope, God, that this is going to make me well or whole or happy. The assurance of things hoped for and quite literally the conviction of things not seen. I can't see the end of that road. I can't see all the way to the light at the end of that tunnel. But I trust and believe because there's an empty tomb, because I know that this God can do wondrous things. Friends, your life is not futile. The second thing that uh, Locato says that the the, um, resurrection points out that the empty tomb helps bring to reality is is that uh, your failures, they're not fatal. Man, every one of us has failures. Every one of us has flaws. Every one of us has points in our lives where we fall down, where we kind of tumble over, or we kind of don't do things well, right? We've all got those. 
And I just want to share with you, we all stand in good company. The Bible is full of all kinds of folks who failed, who fell, who had pretty mortal flaws. I just think of Moses who began his adulthood murdering some guy and running off into the woods, right? Couldn't fully convince Pharaoh it took 10 different times and 10 different plagues for him to get there, right? King David, the greatest king of all, he, he started off on the wrong foot with a woman named Bathsheba. Didn't, didn't work out too well. We all have fatal flaws. Paul started out as Saul, persecuting Christians, then becomes the greatest apologist for all of Christianity. Even the favorite disciple, Peter, just moments before his own Savior is going to hang on the cross, denies him three times. Friends, all I want to say is your failures are not fatal. God is there. God is for you and with you, and the empty tomb proves that that restoration is always, always possible. What a powerful gift that is. And then, of course, the biggest gift that the resurrection points to us is that um, uh, quite literally, your death is not final. <laughs> your death is not the end of your life. Your death is not the end of life itself. Your death rather becomes a new beginning. The women went to the tomb expecting to see and find death, a dead body, to take care of it and provide for it. But what they found was life. What they discovered was a resurrected Savior. What they encountered was endless possibility about what God can do in and through anybody. And that's the gift of the resurrection, you see. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to the church at Corinth. I want you to go home today and read 1 Corinthians 15. Not only do we have powerful stories in the gospel of the resurrection, but Paul has a, an amazing way to lay it out. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he just says, look, when this perishable body puts on imperishability and when this mortal body puts on immortality, then that saying which was written will be fulfilled, that death has been swallowed up in victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. It's about the powerful gift of an empty tomb demonstrating for the world that life always overcomes death, that hope always overcomes despair, and that love always conquers all. Friends, my desire for each of us is that we might know that in the pit of our gut, that we might know it in the depths of our heart, and that we might share it with somebody. You see, to come to worship is great, to celebrate and to sing and to pray and to shout and to, and to give thanks to God for this resurrection is wonderful, but it's not enough. We've got to share the story. We've we got to help other people believe that it's true. And here's what I want to suggest about its truth. There is no better proof of the resurrection than a group of people who are so radically different, so transformed by love, so motivated by grace, so generously uh, compassionate that there could be no doubt but that something decisive in history happened. And because of that, you and I and others who follow Jesus are different, are unique, and can proclaim that and live that every single day. That's what this day is about. And so praise God 
Praise God that that tomb was empty. Praise God that the angel descended. Praise God there was an earth-shattering event that day. And most of all, praise God that God made it very clear that we can go through life with great fear and joy, knowing that together with God, we got nothing to be afraid of because God always goes before us and God will make it possible. Praise God that that is true. May you go from this place, living that, sharing that, being the resurrection that brings restoration. Will you pray with me? Holy and beloved God, thank you for the gift of your Son, for that empty tomb that the angel expressed. Thank you that he was not there, but he had been raised. Thank you that we do not have to be afraid, but can indeed move forward in life with your influence, with your grace, with your joy, that we can face any set of circumstances, that we can move beyond any setback, and that we can have hope beyond hope that you're always with us, always for us, and will help pave the way forward. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Thank you that he always brings life. This is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, who we know to be the Christ. Amen. Hey, friends, you know, part of what I invite us to do is to be an influencer, right, is to sort of share this good news and to help others to become influenced by what it is you already know. Jesus has been raised. Hope is real, and life conquers death. I'm real excited about our upcoming worship series that starts in just two weeks from today, simply called Influencers, where we learn from some of the early day influencers of the Christian tradition to help us be better influencers in the world today. I I want to invite you to watch the video to capture just a little bit of what we'd love to have you participate in throughout the month of May. Just imagine in your mind, because it's really good, and it will help influence you to be a greater influence in the world. Hey, let me also just say thanks to you. I I just want to invite you today, among all days, for you to be generous, for you to make ministry possible, for you to help create opportunities for Treach and even other followers of Jesus to help make life joyous. And so, if you'd like to give today, there are a couple of ways for you to do it. If you brought a gift with you, literally money or check, there are boxes right outside the door with the white columns. As you go to those white columns, if you just want to drop them there, that'd be great. Or if you uh, want to give digitally, you can scan the QR code that's here on the screen, or you can text the letter T-M-U-M-C to the number 45777. But friends, know your generosity goes miles for making ministry possible and helping transform hearts and lives. Remember, if you want to make a special donation, a designated gift to Mozambique, you can go to tmumc.org slash M-O-Z. Thank you for your generosity.